Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 223, recorded on January 12th, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. And we start this week with some big news for what just might be my least favorite desktop Linux installer. Yes, that's right. Red Hat has announced it's planning to shift the Fedora and RHEL installer to a web-based UI. Now, if you're familiar with Anaconda, you'll know that it's long been based on GTK. But as part of some ongoing modernization efforts, it seems that Red Hat is actually looking at rewriting the UI on top of Cockpit. Yeah, Cockpit, or it's, I think it's known as Web Console in RHEL, but we frequently refer to it as Cockpit, which is a web-based management system that's cross-distro but really has a home in Fedora. And it turns out it, it already knows a little Anaconda D-Bus. We'll get to that. But it seems that this is an effort that has been under consideration for a little bit, and it's all in the really early stages of development. And the transition actually isn't expected to be that disruptive because there has been an ongoing modularity effort in Anaconda, and there is that D-Bus component, so they think there's going to be kind of a smooth transition. Now, honestly, the Anaconda installer, like Wes alluded to, has, has been probably uh, our most mixed aspect of the Fedora reviews over the years. And whenever we have somebody new try Fedora, like they're either a big fan of Anaconda or they don't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can be neutral on Anaconda, at least not yet. No, I think it's probably some of the most feedback the team receives as well. Cockpit is an interesting choice. So why Cockpit? Well, um, I think, one, they're pretty happy with how the project has turned out. It's a mature solution, and it already has support for that Anaconda D-Bus backend. And I think another factor is the Cockpit team is willing to engage and work with the Fedora team. I mean, that matters. And they have expertise that the Fedora team can leverage for this transition. And it seems they've, they've even been willing to help build out a bit of a prototype to test this. I mean, a really early stages kind of thing. And they've been really good about communicating things. That matters a lot when you're trying to make a transition like this. But I think long term, it's probably also a little strategic. It's about creating a consistent management experience for Fedora, the Fedora spins, and RHEL. And now, just like you're going to manage your virtual machines and your disks, and you're going to manage your packages and your updates and your services through Cockpit, now you're also going to do the installation through Cockpit. And if you think of it in an enterprise environment where you might already be doing it through some sort of remote session, God forbid VNC, which is like the go-to solution right now, this is going to be a way better experience. And for those of us who do the occasional install, I, I don't think I'm going to hate this as much as I, I might have a couple of years ago. You know what I mean, Wes? Like, I think I see the logic here. Yeah, there's definitely some advantages to having it be a web-based UI. I mean, the web's pretty universal at this point, but I do wonder how it might work exactly. I mean, is this going to be just a tiny little GNOME web embedded instance? How might it work in what might in the old days be more of a, you know, just a low-key minimal terminal install? Are we going to have those kinds of options? But that said, if you think about this as sort of lifting up some of the abstractions in the system, building more APIs, making things more modular as they you know, have been working on in the back end of Anaconda, 
I think that's a really good thing, right? I mean, this is going to make Cockpit more robust. It's going to let the team working on Anaconda maybe focus a little bit more on the specific implementation details and a little less on the presentation stuff, especially if that's, you know, partially being handled by the nice framework that Cockpit already has set up. But as nice as that may potentially be, you can't get too excited just yet because at the current state, they can't really commit to anything on when you might actually get to try this out. So far, we don't even have a screenshot. And popping up the stack a bit, there's a lot of good work going into GNOME Shell and Mutter, which is the Wayland Display Server or X11 Compositing Manager for GNOME. And this is all intending to land in the 42 release. Now, it looks like on the Mutter side, we're seeing a bunch of notable updates some of which are allowing the input events to happen at a full rate. We've talked about that before. Rather than being limited to the monitor refresh rate, so if you had a 60 hertz screen, that was the absolute max that GNOME was allowing input events to be captured at. And some applications, like 3D applications, video editors, and video games, were sitting there pulling, waiting for more. That's fixed now, and that's going to be nice. That's a big change for a professional desktop. Yeah, and great for those on, like, say, 120 hertz monitors. That's really nice. Also, nice to see support for the Wayland DMA buffer backend extension, which gives you improved multi-GPU support and direct scan-out handling. hey And speaking of improvements in that area, Mutter will now prefer GBM over EGL streams. Now, why that matters is because that's how you get the NVIDIA proprietary driver working on Wayland, and that now is set to default to prefer GBM. Well, even outside of Mutter, GNOME 42 has some other nice-to-see improvements, including better window tracking, support for extensions being able to opt in to running on the lock and login screens, and some efficiency improvements in the screen magnifier, which has now learned to be better at avoiding off-screen rendering. Following this alpha, GNOME 42 beta is expected sometime mid-February, with plans for an official release on March 23rd. We don't mention every release of Linux Mint, but this one seemed like a particularly good one. Linux Mint 20.3 has been released, and this one has security updates until 2025. New in this release is dark mode, as the team says, is now omnipresent throughout the apps and the UI, giving a more coherent user experience. They've introduced a new document manager called Thingy. Think of it as like a, a library that keeps track of your documents on your computer and how far you've read. It's uh, pretty nice looking, too. Themes have been refreshed and modernized in this release. And of course, Mint 20.3 features Cinnamon 5.2, along with some other desktops. But Cinnamon 5.2 has gotten some nice work. And the integrated calendar now has event management functionality, and it syncs with potential calendar sources like Evolution, uh, Google Calendar, Mozilla Thunderbird and whatnot right there in your little clock area. It looks great. That's pretty nice to see. Under the hood, Linux Mint 20.3 is powered by Linux Kernel 5.4, building on top of the Ubuntu 20.04 base. And for you Flatpak users, it's got Flatpak 1.12. Also in the news for Linux Mint recently, it seems they've reached a deal with Mozilla to have the project directly package Firefox for Mint. Mint founder Clement Lefebvre wrote, quote, In the past, Linux Mint used its own default settings and configured Firefox in a specific way. 
most of this configuration is now abandoned to go back to the Mozilla defaults. Yep, no more Mint homepage. It's the way Mozilla does it. So among the changes, search engines will be back to the Mozilla default, which means Google, not DuckDuckGo like it was before. And uh, it also means that any other kind of small patches they made, say, like to the devs that Ubuntu made, those are being dropped now because it's just going to be as Mozilla ships it. Adding a little additional background, Clem went on to say, quote, For Mozilla, the goal is to make Firefox work the same way across all platforms, to ease maintenance and simplify development and bug fixing. For us, this change means a tremendous simplification in terms of maintenance and our development. Two additional points of interest here. One, Clem also seemed to imply that avoiding using the snap of Firefox was also a major motivation here. And two, if you've already made changes to these default settings, well, Mint will respect that. That's not going to get wiped out. But if you're just relying on the defaults, then you're going to see some changes. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. Linode really offers you something better for developers, for businesses, for individuals, for those of you who just don't want the complexities of those big hyperscalers out there, and you don't need their endless options, but you still want a great price and you want better performance. Linode's how we run everything. Everything that we've built in the last 2.5 years now, it runs on Linux. And I noticed right when I first tried Linode, you can tell in the product that the company gets and loves Linux. They use it every day in their own environment, and it shows in their tooling. It's done really, really well. They started 18 years ago, and now they are the largest independent cloud provider in the world. And they learned that customer support is absolutely critical. So they've invested in having the best customer support in the business. And to round that out, they have 11 data centers around the world for you to choose from. Great features like object storage, cloud firewall, a beautiful interface, backups that are simple and reliable, and a lot more. So go build something, go learn something, and try it for yourself while supporting the show. Linode.com slash land. Get that $100 in 60-day credit and kick the tires for yourself. Linode.com slash LAN. And a big thank you to Ting, Linux.ting.com. Go to Linux.ting.com and see how much you could save on cell service. And then take $25 off that, either your service or a device. Linux.ting.com. You see, Ting doesn't have to worry about making all the deals with the local governments and digging holes in the ground. They're a mobile virtual network operator. So that means Ting gets access to the same nationwide networks, LTE and 5G, but they can offer a better value and better customer support than the big duopolies can. And Ting has that nationwide coverage. They have a mix of plans and fast data. So go to linux.ting.com and see what works in your area. It's a smart move, too, because not only are you going to save, but Ting Mobile was recently named the number one carrier by customer reports in 2021. Congratulations, Ting. And their plans are simple and straightforward very easy to understand. I appreciate about them. That's why I've been there since 2013. You just look at the plans. They make sense. You can tell it's a good deal. It's all really obvious. It's really simple. I really appreciate that. And really, you know, when they can, they're just going to give you unlimited. 
that helps keep it simple. Like you can get plans that have unlimited talk and text. And if you're a family, you know, calls each other and texts, what a great way to do a family plan. And every single plan gets access to Ting's award-winning customer service with nationwide LTE and 5G coverage and the freedom of no contracts ever. I love that. And it's so simple to switch to Ting. Pretty much any phone will work because of their multi-network support. So just head to linux.ting.com, check your current phone, create an account, and pick the plan that's right for you. Ting will send you a SIM card. You're going to pop that in. You'll be going in minutes. You're never going to be happier than when you start saving money. It feels great. And why not do it at the beginning of the year? I've been on a savings rampage recently, and Ting is absolutely one of the ways I get there. Linux.ting.com. Giving us flashbacks of Linux's early days, former Twitter boss Jack Dorsey is helping to launch a new fund that's aiming to help defend Bitcoin developers against potential litigation. Its first port of call will be to come to the aid of the Bitcoin developers who are being sued by Craig Wright's Tulip Trading Limited over an alleged, quote, breach of fiduciary duty. To start with, the fund will be providing funding for outside counsel. It seems like this came just at the right time. The email that Jack Dorsey sent out to the Bitcoin developer mailing list went out this morning, and Dorsey described the open source community as, quote, especially susceptible to legal pressure. He wrote, in response, we propose a coordinated and formalized response to help defend developers. So Craig Wright claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, in my personal opinion, and just about the opinion of everyone online, he is not actually Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. That's what you said about me as well. I think you're just a skeptic. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, hand on my heart, there's a better shot that Wes Payne is Satoshi Nakamoto than Craig Wright, in my personal opinion, uh, because Craig doesn't even seem to understand how Bitcoin works. What Craig wants is, now this is my understanding, but it seems he had coins from Mt. Gox. Perhaps he came into possession of these coins after they circulated in the market when they were stolen. Uh, that part is not clear to me. However, he has a large amount of coins that he then lost, and he wants the Bitcoin developers to alter the Bitcoin source code to give him his keys back. He thinks it's their responsibility. He thinks he's found a law that makes it their responsibility to help him recover his lost keys. I'm sure anybody who's ever lost some Bitcoin would love the developers to do this. But uh, clearly, uh, if Craig was Satoshi Nakamoto, he would know that you can't just change the source code and have that get adopted. Every node operator would also have to update their node and accept these changes this has happened in Bitcoin's history before when they tried to go to a larger block size and the nodes played a role in rejecting that change. So even if the source code could be changed, it wouldn't necessarily roll out. The network wouldn't have consensus. It wouldn't matter. But I'm sure Craig knows that since he's Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, also, Craig is going after anyone who has posted a copy of Satoshi Nakamoto's original white paper about Bitcoin because he claims it's copyright infringement since he is Satoshi, he wrote the white paper. Anyone who is linked to it or posted online is committing copyright violations, and he's going after them, or at least a select group. Now, in my opinion, that just seems ridiculous as well, because it's an open source project and the white paper is meant to be widely distributed. So the whole thing seems like a, a pretty loose understanding of how all of these things work and not likely going to go very far. But in the meantime, he's going to burn a lot of money and he's going to cause a lot of developers a lot of heartburn 
And that's why it's pretty great that Jack Dorsey is trying to get this rolling to help shield them from that. Because I don't think it's just this, Wes. It's like any future litigation related to Bitcoin-based projects. Uh, Dorsey even made mention of people working on Lightning Network apps. Yeah, whatever you may think of this particular example, it does seem to be highlighting a need, as we see for other open source efforts, that without someone helping on the monetary front, on the organizational front, well, sometimes these projects just aren't set up in a way that can interface well with various legal systems. Back to some of the nitty-gritty on the fun side, well, initially it's going to be staffed by volunteers and part-time lawyers, and there'll be a board responsible for allocating the resources. Who's going to be on that board? Well, Jack Dorsey, of course, but also Chaincode Labs co-founder Alex Morcos and academic Martin White. Clarifying the fund's financial position to start with, Dorsey wrote, quote, At this time, the fund is not seeking to raise additional money for its operations, but will do so at the direction of the board if needed for further legal action or to pay for staff. Hmm. I I was struck when I read this, and, and I, I read into what uh, Craig Wright is attempting to do. I think you mean Satoshi Nakamoto, Chris? Oh, right. Sorry, of course. Right. In my opinion, Craig Wright, uh, or also a.k.a. Satoshi Nakamoto. Anybody who's been in Linux for a long time remembers Sco and just the disproportional amount of FUD that small company could produce about Linux, IP, and their supposed ownership over components in Linux that made it so successful. And they fought and they fought and they they tried going after projects and developers. They tried going after companies. They even ultimately eventually tried to go after end users of Linux for a little bit in an embarrassingly desperate move. And there's so many echoes of that kind of, maybe actually echoes isn't the right word. There's a lot of ways this rhymes with history. What's happening right now as Bitcoin becomes successful, somebody's trying to use the legal system to gain control and ownership over it to make money. And their position seems tenuous from the best, even from the very beginning, but that doesn't preclude them from doing years of legal battles. And so Jack Dorsey stepping down from Twitter might have been one of the better things for Bitcoin recently. And this is a great first start, but my opinion, I think what would be even better long-term is actually something that's maybe decentralized, that the community could fund, because I think there's a lot of Bitcoin users that would stop hodling a little bit of Bitcoin and come out of the woodwork and contribute to a fund to go after creeps like Craig, in my opinion, that are going after developers. And that kind of thing has to be stopped, and it's better for the entire Bitcoin community if it's stopped right now and early. Yeah, you got to wonder, you know, this is focused on Bitcoin, but are other cryptocurrency communities and, and projects in the space going to fall under its arena or will they need their own organizations? And yeah, as you say, you know, there are various approaches here, but this seems like adding in a bit more centralization, at least in some regards. How well is this board going to serve that community? I can definitely see where the community might want something a little more decentralized and autonomous, but perhaps this can be a good way to bootstrap things. Yeah. And I think you make a good point, too. Like, where does this leave the other cryptocurrencies? Does it make them more legally exposed if they don't have a war chest standing by? Wes, do you recall when there was a patent lawsuit going around? I think it involved essentially using a playlist on a website. It's a vague recollection, but this was a thing a few years ago. Yeah, that sounds familiar. And it really was a matter of the, the person doing the litigation in that scenario started with a few low-hanging fruits small operations, and then won the case there and then built on top of that and built on top of that. 
And you do wonder if maybe something like that could end up happening in the cryptocurrency world. But this is all part of a brave new frontier. Linux had to go through these same exact growing pains. Yeah, it certainly seems like early days, both in the crypto space and, of course, for this new fund. Seems like we should be hearing more from them as the ball gets rolling sometime soon. And it is probably worth mentioning just one more time that, no, they're not looking for money. They've got enough of that, at least for now. Well, we're going to keep the ball rolling right here every single week. So check out linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to keep in touch. Hey, be sure to check out extras.show. We're posting some special road trip memory episodes. We kept the mics rolling during our trip to Denver, and we're putting some of the best audio in extras.show releases. As for this show, well, we'll be back next week with all the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week. Music